Hey there, online family. Thanks so much for tuning into the Refuge Official Podcast today. We believe that the message you're about to hear is a powerful one. We believe that the Lord is ready and willing to do a great work. And we believe that through this message, you'll hear from him today. So please enjoy. And so Sam is going to minister a message today. I believe that's going to bless you. We are in awe of the ones of God. There it is. Amen. I got my own. Thank you, Pastor Matt. All right. Well, I want to first and foremost thank you all so much for being here today as Pastor already has. It's an honor to be able to bring the word to you all this morning. And before I even sort of continue this introduction here, I want to direct thanks and honor to our pastors because it is no small privilege to be able to take this pulpit and share the word with you this morning, and it's not an honor that I take lightly. So if we could just give our pastors a round of applause this morning because we have the most amazing pastors in Pastor Matt and Pastor Deb, and we as the body are just so thankful for both of you and the years and years that you have shepherded the flock in such a faithful way. And so we love you and we thank you. And with that, as Pastor Matt said, my name is Sam Schneider. I have the tremendous honor of being on staff here at Refuge as our media director. So I play a role in our tech booth, in our online campus, and kind of all that fun techie online stuff. And it's an, a tremendous honor, a tremendous privilege, and it is not one that I take lightly, just like I don't take lightly the ability to share the word with you all this morning. And so, as Pastor Matt said, um, if this is your first time here, over the course of the summer, we have been going through our core values as a church. So, we've been going through the things that build the foundation of what we believe and who we are as a church body. And today's core value is the 11th. It's the second from last. And today's is we are in awe of the one true God. And so before I really dive into things here, I want to give this message a little bit of a preface. And that's that there's a gentleman by the name of Mr. John Bevere. He wrote a book called The Awe of God, and much of what I may share with you today has been gleaned from these teachings because it is a fantastic dive into what exactly it looks like to be in awe of God. And so you can feel free to see me after service if you want to dive deeper into this topic. We'd be happy to get you one of these books, but I wanted to let you guys know that to go further than just what we'll share with you today, this is a very valuable resource. And so... With that said, I want to break this core value into two parts as we talk about it today. I want to first talk about what it means to be in awe. So we are in awe. We're going to look at what exactly that means. Where does awe come from? What exactly does awe look like? And then we're going to go into the second part. We're in awe of who? The one true God. So we're going to talk about that as well. And so obviously... To, to start to build a foundation here of what exactly awe is. It's helpful to just get a definition of the word, right? So if we look in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, the definition of awe is an emotion variously combining dread, veneration, and wonder that is inspired by authority or by the sacred or sublime. Now, at first, awe might not sound like a super great thing if it is sort of, you know, dread and veneration, but it's also wonder of the sacred, right? So awe is an incredible 
in and of itself emotion that we can experience as human beings. And the awe that we have of the Most High is unlike any other awe that we can have of anything here in the physical. And so this is what we're going to start to unpack a little bit here today. And so the awe of God, and I have a slide for this, the awe of God, our awe of God is a byproduct of our fear of him. So to stand in awe of the Lord, we must first fear the Lord. Now, what does it mean to fear God? For those of you who may not have heard that before, it can seem intimidating. Why should I be afraid of someone who loves me? But when talking about the fear of the Lord, and this is what we're going to start to unpack, we're really talking about a reverence and and, and awe, right? Awe is a byproduct of that fear. So for us to fear the Lord, it ultimately means that we are in such reverence of him that ultimately the only word that can describe that is fear of how mighty and how powerful and how majestic he truly is truly is. And so I want to dive into the word today because any good message should be founded on the word. And so we're going to go through some scriptural examples of what exactly it means to fear the Lord and their context in our lives today. So what I want to go to first is Isaiah chapter 33. And we're going to look specifically at verse 6 because this verse tells us that the key to our salvation is the fear of the Lord. So Isaiah chapter 3 verse 33, excuse me, Verse 6 says, he will be the sure foundation of your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. And guess what? The fear of the Lord is the key to that treasure. What was the treasure? It was salvation and wisdom and knowledge. So in fear of the Lord, we have the key to that treasure that is our salvation and wisdom and knowledge. And then if we go to Luke chapter 1, specifically verse 50, this tells us that his mercy, God's mercy, extends to those who fear him. So let's look at this. It says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So we're seeing this biblical foundation that a fear of the Lord ultimately unlocks all that can be found in God most high. So a fear of the Lord is foundational in our walk with him. And then if we look at Philippians chapter 2, this is um, written by the Paul to the church in Philippi, and he's telling them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. So let's, let's read this here. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as I in my, excuse me, not only as in my presence, but in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work of his good pleasure. So to work out your salvation, it's not exactly like a bicep curl or something like that, but to work out means that you work towards perfection. Not that we'll ever reach it, but we constantly work towards it because that should always be our goal is to go deeper and to grow in our connection with God. So Paul is urging the church to work out their salvation, continue to work towards a deeper and more intimate connection with God. And he tells them to do it with what? With fear and trembling. In other words, to Do it in such reverence of the Lord that you can't help but be in awe of him. Because awe is what? It's a byproduct of our fear of the Lord. So when we come into a fear of the Lord, when we truly understand what exactly that means, we will have no choice but to be in awe of him. Because that is a byproduct of our fear of him. So let's let's dive a little deeper. I want to give you guys... 
sort of a, a, a visual representation of what exactly this might mean. We all know that when we fear something here in the natural, we have typically one of two responses, right? We have a fight or we have a flight. But I want to add a third element here for you guys to take home with you, and that's that when you fear something in the spiritual, when you fear the Lord, you have the option to fight it, to fly away from it, or to follow it, okay? So that's your third option, and I want to I look at this in a scriptural connotation as well. So if we look at Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve have eaten of the tree of the forbidden fruit, and they know that they have sinned against God, and they hear his footsteps coming towards them in the garden. What is their response? They run away, and they hide, and they cover themselves, right? But Paul, in Acts chapter 9, when the Holy Spirit encounters him on the road to Damascus, when he sees the bright light, and he's blinded for days, and his, his only response is to follow because he has encountered the glory of Almighty. So when you encounter Jesus in such a radical way as Paul did, you can run away from it, you can fight it, or you can follow after it. So what we're gonna talk about today is what it looks like to follow after God out of a reverential fear of him, in awe of him. Because when Paul encountered God on the road to Damascus, he became radically on fire. For God, He went from the persecutor of Christians that he was, killing them, beheading them, to being the, one of the guys who would write most of the New Testament, to being so on fire for God that he was preaching in the streets, being beaten to a pulp, being imprisoned because of his love for God, because of the fear that he had for God. So when you develop a fear for the Lord, you can fight it, you can flight from it, or you can choose to follow after it. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Why we must follow after God out of our reverential fear, out of our awe for him. Because to fear God, church, is to revere him as worthy of more praise than we could ever possibly muster. To fear God is to revere him as worthy of more sacrifice than our physical bodies could ever possibly produce. To fear God is to revere him as the one who has taken, as the one who laid down glory, went to the cross and died for us and rose again so that we could have forgiveness of our sins, knowing full well that we don't deserve it, we cannot earn it, but yet because he so dearly loves us, he freely gave to fear God is to come to even begin to understand that. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he wants relationship with us. And ultimately, it's in relationship that we grow in our closeness, in our connection, right? So how do we grow in our fear of the Lord? We get closer to him, right, church? And I want, to give, I want to give both a spiritual and a, a physical aspect to this as well. So I want us to go to Luke chapter 6, verse 12 specifically. This is where Jesus sets an example for us in the Bible, right? Because we all know that we are to live in a Christ-like way as the body. We're supposed to imitate Christ in our day-to-day lives. So Jesus is setting an example for us here in how we grow closer to the Godhead. And so in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it's speaking of Jesus here. It says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer 
to God. So Jesus grew in his closeness to the Father in prayer and supplication and seeking his face by going out to a secret place, to a mountain, to pray, right? And so if we go also to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, this says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So we're instructed to seek first before we seek our spouse, before we seek our kids, before we seek our job, our career, before we seek anything else, we are to seek first the kingdom of heaven. James chapter four, verse eight says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So as we draw nearer to God, as we work to, to get rid of what's old, to, 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 get, to wash it away, to allow him to cleanse us, as we draw nearer to him, he draws closer to us as well. And then we also see in First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 11, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. This is a charge to never let your seeking of him cease. And then my last scripture here, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Our faith, our closeness with the Almighty is ultimately a byproduct of our efforts to get closer to him and allow him to enter us, to make us new. So we seek his presence and we fill ourselves with his word and that is how we draw closer to him, church. We flee from unrighteousness and we push in to, the, the, to his presence, to what he has for us. And so I said I wanted to give you both a spiritual picture of this and a physical picture of this. And um, researchers and scientists have told us that in, in our brains, cognitively, connection with another individual happens through three different pathways. And those pathways are time, space, and closeness. So when you are drawing, when you're becoming more connected with someone, it's because you're spending more time with them, you're residing in the same spaces as them, and you emotionally are drawing closer to them. That is what develops connection in our minds here in this physical body. And that's why when we lose someone we love, we grieve because we, do, we know that their time has ended. We know that we can no longer be close to them and spatially, right? And because the closeness that we once had with them, we can no longer have. We can no longer converse with them. We can no longer commune with them. And so we have these pathways in our physical bodies and our minds cognitively that we draw close to other individuals, but this translates to our heavenly father as well, right? Because so often, so often we'll hear, well, I just, I just can't hear from God or I just, I just don't see God working in my life, right? Well, I'm gonna ask you this. How often does God hear from you? How often have you spent time with God? You're expecting him to talk to you. You're expecting him to come spend time with you. But have you talked to him? Have you spent time with him? Because church, ultimately what I feel like the Lord has led me to really, really share with you all today. And he's definitely, definitely used my family as, as an example of this. I failed to mention in my introduction. Uh, this is my beautiful wife, Kerrigan, and our precious son, Bear, here. Um, he's just about a month old, and, you know, when I feed my son, as much as I might want to, I'm not feeding him steak right now. I'm feeding him a bottle, because at this point in his development, a bottle is what he needs. 
eventually he'll graduate to some purees and maybe some vegetables and eventually that steak, right? But I feel like church, spiritually, so many of us have rejected the bottle. So many of us have not been grateful for the bottle. And what the Lord needs you to understand today is that until you are thankful for the little, you are not ready for the much. And so as we are in fear of him, in reverence of him, as we are in awe of him, we have to be thankful for the little before we're ready to receive the much. We have to be thankful for the bottle before we're ready for the stake. Because to see God in all of his glory, church, we have to look beyond the physical. So many of us are stuck looking for God in the physical, looking at our circumstances and saying, God hasn't helped me, or looking at circumstances of those closest to us, looking at good people going through hard things and saying, if God was real, he would help them. So many of us are stuck looking in the physical that we forget to look at the victory that he has claimed for us in the spiritual. Because what happened when Jesus Christ went to the cross, died and rose again three days later, he declared victory over death, hell, and the grave. And so if we are stuck looking at what God can do for us in the physical, we forget to look at the victory that he's already won for us in the spiritual and that we can claim that over our lives every single day. Lord, you have claimed the victory over depression. Lord, you have claimed the victory over anxiety. Lord, you have claimed the victory over, over addiction. We can claim this victory in our lives today when we get out of this headspace, this narrow-mindedness of just looking at the physical. And so it's so important, church, for us to grow in our awe of him because as we grow closer to him, as we, as we develop this relationship with him, that's when our mind, our thinking is expanded, when we begin to see him in all of his glory. And the Bible says that we are to, to worship him in spirit and in truth. And this is in John chapter 4, uh, specifically verses 23 and 24. Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, and he's revealed to her that he knows things about her that no one could know, right? That she has this many husbands, and the man that she lives with now is not her husband. And he says, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, what does this mean, church? Why is this important to thinking about our closeness with the Lord? He instructs us to worship in spirit and in truth very specifically because if we're worshiping only in spirit and our worship is not founded on any truth, then it's nothing but an empty praise. But if we worship only in truth without the spirit, then it's nothing but a legalistic mandatory offering of praise. So we must worship in both spirit and in truth. And in doing so, we draw closer to him. And as we draw closer to him, our fear, our reverence, our awe of him increases. So we are in awe of who? The one true God. Why is this so important to say? Why can't we just say we're in awe of God? Because church, if we're not in awe of the one true God, then we will be in awe of other 
gods and idols in our lives. We're all guilty of it. We're all fallen. We're all sinners. And if God is not the one true God in our lives, then other things will creep in and begin to come idols in our lives. That could be your career. That could be social media. It could be a boyfriend. It could be a girlfriend. It could be your fantasy football team. It could be, as silly as it sounds, these things, when they creep in and they begin to take away our gaze from God, they become idols in our lives. And what happens is our awe begins to be directed to these things rather than the one true God because he must be the one true God in our lives for us to be in awe of him. He must be the one true God in our lives for us to be in awe of him. So how do we, how do we dig in deeper and make sure that none of these other things are taking his place? None of these other things are creeping in and taking our attention away, taking our worship away, taking our praise away from our one true God. How do we do that? Well, Scripture tells us this, church. All of, all of the revelation that you can gain from Scripture is so important. And so I encourage you guys, spend time in the Word as we're doing today. I want to go to Jeremiah chapter 32, specifically verse 17. This says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. This is revealing to us that nothing, nothing is too hard for the Lord, the creator of everything. He is available to us today. And whatever we might be dealing with here in the physical, he has already overcome it through Jesus' victory on the cross and resurrection. So we can come to our creator and bring our troubles to him. And we can yoke up with him. We continue on in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 20. It says, There is no one like you, Lord, and there is no God but you, as we've heard with our own ears. So there's no God but God, right? <laughs> there's no God but Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9, this says, Remember the former things, those of long ago, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. There is no substitute for the Almighty. There is no substitute for God. No thing that you may try to place your awe in can render you any salvation but him alone. He is the only true God and there is none like him. In Hosea chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. So whatever is drawing our attention away, whatever is becoming an idol in our lives, whether it is that career, whether it is that boyfriend, that girlfriend, if it is that fantasy football team, it cannot draw your gaze away from God because that is a false idol and there is no savior but Jesus. In John chapter 17, verse three, it says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is eternal life. To come into relationship, to come to know Jesus in a personal way, to invite him into the inside of you, to change and do of his good works in you. Matthew chapter 23, verses 36 through 38, Jesus is asked, 
arguably an, an incredibly important question. Someone asks him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. So for him to be the one true God in our lives, it makes sense that we must follow the first and greatest commandment, right? And so I want to ask you today, how well, look inwardly, how have you been following the first and greatest commandment in your walk with God? Have you loved him with all your heart? Have you loved him with all your soul? Have you loved him with all your mind? I'll be vulnerable with you, church. There's a time in my life where I absolutely was not. There was a time in my life where I was more concerned with the things of this world and focusing on getting a good job, focusing on building a career, that I wanted to just put all the things he had for me on hold in order to chase after the things that I wanted. But when I surrendered to his will, he brought me blessings that I cannot ever possibly thank him enough for. He brought me my wife. He brought me my family. He brought me this position here at the church thanks to the, the, the leadership and the guidance of Pastor Matt and Pastor Deb. And now I'm here able to share this with you today only because he has all the love that I could possibly give because he is the one true God in my life. Is he the one true God in your life today? I want to I wanna start to to sort of bring things to a, to a close here, sharing with you a story out of Genesis. Um, it's about a gentleman named Abraham and his son Isaac. And this is a story of someone who had complete awe of the one true God. Okay, so we see in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, the story begins. And to give you a bit, um, a bit of a backstory here, Abraham was a man who God promised would be the father of many nations. And nearing the age of 100, he still had no children. And he knew in the physical that this was now going to be a much harder prophecy for God to fulfill. But in the supernatural, he knew that the father would fulfill what he had promised. And so he and his wife were blessed with a son named Isaac so late in their years that it seemed like this might be the only son they ever had. But we see as the story begins, God asks for him to display what radical faith he has. So in Genesis chapter 22, verse two, it says, God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. And without hesitation, without question, the next morning at sunrise, Abraham loads up wood on the donkey. He takes a couple of his servants and he takes his son Isaac and they set off towards the land of Moria. No hesitation, no question, no, no rebuttal. Because in his heart. He was completely in awe 
of the one true God. And he knew that even though Isaac might be the only son he would ever have, that what the Lord had promised him, he would be faithful to see through. So his only son, he was prepared to go and to sacrifice, knowing that because God is good, knowing that he was the one true God, he is the one true God, that he would see the prophecy fulfilled regardless of what Abraham had to do to obey him. We see the passage continue in Genesis chapter 22, uh, verse 9. It says, When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him, from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered that as the burnt offering instead of his son. See, church, if you are truly in awe of the one true God, you will be prepared to lay down the blessing which he has given you, knowing that he will be faithful to see it through and to return it to you. Because ultimately, every bit of fulfillment and this is a year of fulfillment as pastors have spoken over this body. Every bit of fulfillment that you ever need can be found only in Him. Only in Him, in relationship with Him. So as we draw near to Him and He draws near to us, all the fulfillment that you could ever need, every hole you feel created by anxiety can be filled by Him. Every gap you feel depression has created in your life, He is the fulfillment that you need. Every bit of attention that you might seek from those in the natural, you should seek only for His gaze in time with Him in His presence. Every bit of fulfillment that we can ever, ever need is found in him. And I want to close with this. Our young adults Bible study has been going through the book of John for a little while now. And just this last week, we were in John chapter 20. And I want to, I want to share with you what John says as he starts to bring his gospel to a close. In John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, it's very interesting that John didn't record everything that he saw Jesus do. Why might that be? Because church, for someone who is dead and gone, the only way that you have of getting to know them is to read about everything they ever did. But for someone who is alive and well today, all you need to do to get to know them is to get into relationship with them. 
to spend time with them, to talk with them. And so I think it's very intentional of John to not record every little thing because he knows that when you come to know the Savior like he did, you will have that wisdom, that knowledge, that understanding like we read earlier. Church, the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all serve a very distinct role in our lives. The Father created us. The Son redeemed us. And we have the opportunity to allow the Spirit into our lives to change us here today. And so as we, as we start to bring things to a close here, I'm going to ask you to look inward and again consider that first and greatest commandment. Have you loved him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind? Have you developed such a reverence of him through your relationship, through your closeness, that you can't help but be in awe as a byproduct of that reverence? Is he the one true God in your life, just as he is called to be? Or are other things clouding our minds, clouding our thinking, clouding our judgment? I'm going to ask everyone to go ahead and bow their heads and close their eyes with me as we prepare to pray. And if you, if you wish to allow his spirit to come into your life today and to change you from the inside, if you wish to come into relationship with him, that you may draw closer to him and he will draw near to you, if you desire relationship with him today, that your awe of him may abound in all ways, that he would be the one true God in your life. We're gonna pray something called a believer's prayer. We pray it every week here as a body for those who want to enter into relationship with Jesus. This is asking him to come and take up residence in your heart, to live on the inside of you and to change you from the inside out. And it's a declaration that you will follow after him all the days of your lives. If that's what you want this morning, I'm gonna invite you to pray after me. We're gonna say, Father God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and that I need you as my savior. I pray that you come into my heart today. Change me, cleanse me, renew me, Lord. Take away the old and fill me with all that is you. Today I declare you are my savior. And I thank you for the transformative work you are doing in me. In Jesus' name, they all said, amen, amen. For anyone who said that prayer for the first time, I could not be more happy for you because this is the first day of the rest of your life. And this is an opportunity to draw near to him. And as he has promised, he in turn will draw near to you. But it takes our step of obedience to take the first step. I heard a speaker say one time that God will take 99 steps towards you, but he still needs you to take just that one. And then it's you and him forever. It's you and him forever. And so I encourage you, if it was your first time saying that prayer today, or maybe you renewed that commitment from a, from a past time, 
we're gonna have a prayer team up here at the end of service. Come and let them pray over you. Let them pray new life into you. And I wanna say one more prayer as we, as we bring things to a close here. And so I'm gonna invite you all to please, once again, bow your heads with me. Father God, I thank you so much for the body of Christ that is here in this building today, Lord, that not one of them is here by accident, not one of them stumbled through those doors on accident, God, but they have been placed here with a purpose, Lord, and that as they come into relationship with you, as Lord, they draw close to you and you draw close to them, Lord, as they develop in their awe of you, as you become the one true God in their lives and all others fade away, Lord. Not one thing would cloud their mind any longer, but they would just be in complete reverential awe of you, Lord. We thank you for the work that you're doing in their hearts and their minds as they're open to receive from you, Lord. We thank you that your spirit is here in this place today. And Lord, we, are, we just say, have your way in our midst, in our lives, in our hearts, in our mind. God, as only you can do. And that Lord, as we worship you here in this moment, as we sing how awesome you are, we know that it is only through you, God, that we can find fulfillment. We thank you for fulfillment flowing through this place today. Jesus, in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, at this time, we're going to close in a song of worship. The altar is open if anyone wishes to come and worship. But like I said, please feel free to come for prayer at the end of service. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Refuge Official Podcast today. We hope that this message spoke to you in a very meaningful way and that you were able to connect with the Lord. And hey, if you made a decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today, we are first and foremost just so happy for you and we would love to get connected with you. So if you want to find some more of our content and find out how to get connected with us, feel free to check out our website at wearerefuge.net. Be blessed and have an amazing rest of your day.